It was May 2011, and Crystal was living back in North Carolina with her dad, Michael. While helping him change light bulbs on a chandelier, Michael fell from the ladder, blamed Crystal, and she says he pushed her down the stairs. That night, she felt intense abdominal pain and was bleeding. At first, it doesn't really register in my mind, like, what it is. And and then I realized, like, well, that might have been a baby. Um, I asked my dad, like, I'm in pain still. Like, I need to go to the hospital, I think. And my dad had said, well, that's what you get for getting on birth control behind my back. And I'm just like, how does he even know about that? Like, what, how does he know about that? It kind of caught me off guard. Because my dad didn't really, like, unless you're dying, like, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm not getting pain medicine, none of that. Like, my dad was very against that stuff and always said that pain is sort of weak-minded. So do you believe that was, in fact, a miscarriage? I'm not a doctor. I guess I'll never really know. I mean, me and Tyler had been having sex regularly. I was like, I need to reach out to him. Like, maybe I should tell him what happened. Um, he probably deserves to know. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, I don't want to involve him in my problems. It's best if I just let him go because he's already survived his own family issues. I don't want him to drag him into mine. So I'm thinking I just need to break up with him and we need to go our separate separate ways because all this is going to do is drag him down and I don't want to do that to him. Crystal's boyfriend Tyler remembered the breakup going a little bit differently. I was the one who basically initiated it in my sense because I told her when we found out about all the lies I was like I can't do this but she lied. I told her she needed help. Whoever actually ended it, the tumultuous teenage love with Tyler was over. Now it was just Crystal and her dad and the isolation Crystal would feel would be an understatement. I'm Melissa McCarty. And I'm Kelly McClear. We are Emmy-nominated investigative journalists, and we've been talking to Crystal Howell since her dad's murder in 2014. Eight years after Michael Howell's murder, at 25 years old, Crystal is telling her story. We bring you the exclusive series, Killing Dad, a first-degree mistake. The days were ticking by for Crystal and her dad, Michael. And in late 2011, the two set out on an adventure of sorts. So... My dad was convinced that because of the arrest that he had gone through back in Georgia for stalking and uh, the violation of the restraining order, that he was always saying, nobody's going to hire me. I'm not going to be able to do a job. So basically, he, he didn't even try. But we had enough money, I guess, in the bank from like inheritance and stuff to survive off of. Um, we didn't live frivolously, but we made it. And so my dad would make extra money by renting out a house. So me and my dad, we would just go camping. And my dad would always be like, this is great. Like, we're, we're basically getting paid to camp. This is not as fun as people make it look. Like, when it's snowing and cold, it's not as great to be camping. And uh, having to go to school. And, like, I had to brush my teeth with creek water. Like, that's not a lifestyle. Like, that's not cool. So it was kind of annoying at times, but oh, 
I don't know, it's pretty up there, so that one's on the bright side, and it was just me and my dad up there. Melissa and I traveled to Augusta, Georgia, to interview Crystal's great-aunt, Brenda, and she explained further the unorthodox living situation for dad and daughter. I think they probably kept it rented a big portion of the time, and he still rented it, which I thought was bad, but Crystal, come to find out, really enjoyed a lot of those trips. They would go, when somebody was renting it, it could be Christmas time, they went and camped on the mountain, you know. And I thought, how are you going to do that with your child? (laughs) But she loved it, I think. She liked it, because it was time with her dad. One day while camping, Crystal once again experienced the wrath of her dad. So my dad started to ramble on about my mom. Uh, We're gathering firewood, and he's walking in front of me, and we're going up the slope. And he's just talking about her, and I'm just so tired, like, I just feel like he should move on. It's been so long, I think like four years at that point. And I told him that, I was like, dude, like, it's been this long. You just need to kind of forget it and move on and get, get over it. And... He looked at me like I didn't shock that I said something because usually I just listen or I'll laugh or something. I'll contribute somehow. But I was just so exhausted. And my mom and I had worked on our relationship a little bit. I do feel the need to kind of stand up for my mom as well. And he said, listen here, little girl. And I'm just like, caught off guard, like, little girl, who, who are you talking to? And... He warns me, like, I'm close to snapping. And I was just tired, so I was like, well, why don't you snap then just snap? And I'm kind of yelling at him, and he's yelling at me. And he has this, I don't know, fiery look in his eyes. And I'm about to say snap again, and before I can get the words out, he hits me across my jaw with a piece of wood. And we're on a slope, so I fall backward. And before I can even think, like, what just happened, you know, I'm disoriented. And he's on top of me with the stick over my throat like a bar. He's got a hand on each side, and it's pressed against my neck, and I'm pinned to the ground like that. While I'm still on the ground, he's screaming at me. Um, He's screaming so hard that, like, his it is lying on me and he's screaming over and over this is what it looks like when I snap this is what it looks like when I snap and I'm just trying to grab onto the stick and push it off but I'm not very strong so I'm still down so I get up afterwards he lifts me up and yeah we're just go back to picking up firewood like nothing ever happened like he's like come on let's go That day, though, was still not over. A little while later, um, my dad went to shoot target practice. Um, there was like a rusty car hood that was up there, and he would put bottles and stuff up there, and we would shoot it off. And so we grabbed the guns, and he had, at this point, there were two different guns. He had a shotgun, which was, I guess, quote unquote, his gun. 
and I had, I think it was like a 22 gauge, is that, I don't know, 22 rifle. And so I had it slung over my shoulder, like not really thinking anything about it. And I turned around at one point, I just turned around and the barrel of the gun kind of pointed at him from over my shoulder. And he freaked out and was like, don't ever point a gun at me. That's not okay. Like, and he snatched the gun that I was holding and it fell to the ground and he points his gun at me and as calmly as ever, as if it's, as if he's asking me like, how do you want your extra breakfast? Like something like that, like a normal question. He, he asked, how does it feel to have a gun in your face? And the gun looks a lot longer when you're staring at it from that end. Uh, I don't know, I was just shocked. Like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is when I die. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want to act weak. I didn't want to, I didn't want to die like that. I didn't want to, I didn't want to fight for my life, but I didn't want to die cowering. I didn't want him to feel like he'd won. So I stood there. We have 60 seconds remaining. Prison calls with Crystal last only 15 minutes at a time. And it seems like whenever she's in the middle of recounting a poignant life event, we get cut off and she has to call back. You know, in my head, like, there were all these things that I wanted to say, like, I wanted to challenge him and I wanted to cuss and scream. And there were all these instincts that I wanted to do, but I guess I knew better. Um, like you don't want to push somebody that is off kilter as he was. So I stood there and my head, uh, I'm just trying to look brave and I closed my eyes because like I said, a gun looks a lot longer from that end. It's so close to your face. So I just, I closed my eyes and waited for whatever was about to happen. And next thing you know, I hear the gun go off and I feel this warmth spreading down my legs and I'm thinking, did he, he, did he shoot me? Like that was my first thought, but I was like, I don't feel any pain and I had peed in my pants and that was embarrassing. Uh, shotgun's really loud, so it startled me and scared me and so now I'm shaking, like I'm trying hard still to look brave, but it's clear that I'm not as brave as I'm portraying myself to be. In the same day Crystal is hit and choked with a piece of wood and had a shotgun go off beside her, she was trying to be as brave as possible, but she finally realized it might be time to ask for help. It was a long weekend, so I went back to school I think it was on a Tuesday, and I was kind of ready to kind of talk to somebody about what was going on because I'm I'm to a point now where I'm beginning to get worried. Like if something randomly happens to me, nobody's going to know where I went or what happened. And I'm just kind of wanting to seek some sort of outside help. I'm not I'm a kid, so I'm not sure where to go, what to do. So I talked to my school counselor. 
about the situation and I told her about the incident with the stick. I left out the mention of any guns because I knew my dad had a criminal history. I didn't know if he would get in trouble for having guns. Like, I never talked to anybody about that before. So I told her about being hit with a stick and she saw, you know, the mark on my face. And I told her basically that, that it scared me. I didn't know what else to say. Um, and they had, I believe, filed a report to through a, another agency which had connected us to DSS. They told my dad in advance basically to be expecting a visit. So we knew it was going to happen. And my dad had told me beforehand, basically, don't talk to these people because if anything happens and they take you away, like you can end up with a family that's a lot worse than me. And then whenever the woman comes over, um, she checks the smoke detectors in our house and checks the fridge. And her and my dad are really friendly and it seems like she's not taking my case seriously. I was never spoken to privately about anything that happened. I was never even spoken to directly. Um, it was mostly my dad walking her through our house and showing her like this is this room and this is that room, kind of like a real estate agent, like showing a house. Um, and then it was over and she left and I never saw her again. There were two reports made, one by the Department of Social Services, and the other was a police report filed by Crystal's mom, Christina, against Michael for the Wood incident. But Crystal's screams for help would fall on deaf ears. I felt like I had lost faith in the police, but I still had a little bit of hope in like, you know, the therapy sessions that I'm having, I'm thinking like, these are people who know me, who would want to help me, but they're also people who think that they know my dad. And so I guess they're torn between like, who do we believe? Do we believe the troubled teenager or do we believe this guy who seems to mean well? Like who, who do we choose in this situation? And so after this incident, then I'm beginning to lose faith more in more things than just now I'm seeing like nobody's listening to me at all. The Department of Social Services and local law enforcement would not be back to the mountaintop home until the worst had happened. In the meantime, life kept trudging along and Michael was getting back into the dating scene. Mike and James, his buddies back in Georgia, explain. We would still probably communicate once a week. Yeah, and I, uh, talk, I didn't talk to him as much, but I talked to him. Yeah, we, we communicated once a week. I mean, it was, it was all golf, but we talked about once a week. I thought he dated a lot. He was on uh, Plenty of Fish, if you've ever heard that. Oh, yes. Even Crystal knew her dad was trying his hand at internet dating. He had been seeing a woman, but I don't know if he lied about having a daughter or what, but I had come home one night and she was there. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to come home. My dad never told me like, hey, don't come home. Like, so I was trying to show up for my curfew and she was there. 
and she broke up with him. And my dad kind of did have resistance towards me for that one specific woman. Um, he blamed me and said that she didn't want to be with him because I was in trouble and that nobody really wants to be involved in that. And I know he did tell me that a lot. My dad would, would meet people through dating websites, not often, but sporadically. Um, and whenever they would kind of break things off of him, he would say, it's because I've got a tr troubled teenager and nobody really wants to be involved in that. Troubled teenager. It was a moniker that Crystal couldn't seem to outrun. So she began to embrace it with the habitual act of shoplifting. Crystal's friends, Summer and Taylor, witnessed it firsthand. I think it was for the adrenaline attention. Uh, she, I think she might have also wanted to get caught because I kind of got that feeling. There was one point she stole two full-length ball gowns from a store, stuck it in a little tiny, little tiny purse, like maybe the size of a crayon box. I really don't know how she fit it. And as we were walking out the door, she said, she looked over to me. She was like, if the scanners go off, just keep walking like you don't know me. I was like, what? Okay, so we just keep walking. Beaver didn't go off. So we get in the car and we're like, what are you talking? And she pulls out two floor length ball gown, like prom dresses from her Vera Bradley purse. I was like, is this real life right now? What is happening? It's not like she didn't have the means to buy every the things that she wanted. I think it was more of a compulsion at a certain point um, where it was just, I see it, I want it, I'm grabbing it. And then I also think it became like a kind of a, can I get away with this? It was an every week thing, not an every, you know, every couple months thing. Why do you think she wanted to get caught stealing? Maybe so she, um, it might be attention so she had some type of attention it's not the best kind of attention but it's better than nothing i mean if i guess for somebody who might not have that in their life anything's better than nothing a few months prior crystal had been diagnosed with histrionic personality disorder people with hpd crave attention and they also have issues with impulse control which was evident in Crystal's shoplifting ways. But a comment from her dad wouldn't sound very impulsive. We would sit on the porch and we would talk about all kinds of stuff, but over time those talks had kind of taken a darker aspect. And he had began talking about shooting up my sister's graduation. He was basically like, I finally found the opportunity that I want to take. Um, I know the school from where I used to report for sports things. You know the school, you've been there. So basically, like, I want you to help me. And that caught me off guard because I'm like, not, I'm not thinking at the time, like, that he's actually developing a plan. I've always thought, like, he's just been rambling. He's been angry. And so to see this plan formulating and the gears in his mind turning it scared me because I didn't want to be involved in something like that so instead of standing up and being like that's wrong that's not what we need to do I took the coward approach uh, and I just played along and was like okay yeah sure and then I ran away 
Crystal was doing all she could to stay out of the path of her dad's wrath. So the quote unquote troubled teen was on the run again. I just packed random things like clothes, makeup, hair straightener, just random items that I felt I needed. Um, I had the phone that, I think we still shared a phone of this, so I took that and I left. So I'm on the internet looking for people to hang out with, like just anybody, not sure where to go. and. This guy messages me and is like, hey, want to hang out? And I'm like, sure, why not? Like, I need somewhere to hang out anyway. And it was really late when he picked me up, probably like 2 in the morning. So that should have probably raised a red flag, but I'm not thinking of that. I'm just looking for a way out. So I get in the car with him, and he stops by a fast food restaurant and gets me something to eat. And the next thing I know, I wake up in a trailer in another state. But at the time, I was not using any drugs. I was not drinking. I just got in a car with a guy and thought, I ate this McDonald's and drank this drink. So afterward, I'm thinking like, is it possible that he could have put something in it? I, but I don't, I don't know if he did or not. I don't have any proof of that. So I'm in this dirty bed, like it's just, feels gross and it smells gross and I'm not wearing any clothes and I instantly wake up like where am I like how did I get here um, I hear a baby crying in the next room over and I'm like Who, whose kid is that like cause I, I remember getting in the car with this guy and I remember eating the fast food and the next thing I remember is waking up in his bed so I know when I got in the car with him, there was not a kid in the car. So I, I remember thinking, like, did he leave his kid at home alone? Is there somebody else in the house? Like, basically, I need to contact somebody and tell them where I'm at. Like, somebody needs to come get me. Because I don't know at this point that I'm in another state. Uh, my clothes are in a pile across the room. So I put my clothes on, and I get my phone out, and I ping the location to a friend of mine and I was like uh, I think I might have been raped can you come get me and at this point the police are tracking uh, my messages so they see that and they see the location and they show up at the house and my first thought is do I run do I stay like what do I do because I don't want to go back home but I, I'm not sure really the right thing to do so I just stay and I let the police come in and they escort me out. Um, they arrest the guy. Um, his wife, I guess he had a wife I didn't know, came home in the middle of everything from work and she's probably freaking out. They took me to the hospital and they had my dad meet us at the hospital. And after all that was done, my dad took me home. They released me to my dad immediately and my dad took me home and right away, I ran away again. Brenda Ennis remembers this dark period in Crystal's life. Crystal was a handful by then because she was rebelling and running away and, you know, but she was screaming for help the whole time that she was doing all these things and nobody recognized it. 
Did Crystal ever reach out to you directly? No. I wish she had. Many times I wish she had. Crystal was in a vicious cycle of running away, and each time, Dad would find her and bring her home again. After the last runaway attempt, Michael checked Crystal into yet another, what she calls, mental institution. She was there for six months when her dad pulled her out early. When she returned to Maggie Valley, they had a roommate. Her name's Holt, and things were good, honestly. Like, my dad seemed kind of clear-headed. I kind of separated myself from my dad a lot because now he does have that other person that he's spending time with. Mike never really seemed to have close friends. I don't know how, you know, it was like they were... Friends in passing seemed to me. I didn't feel that he had close friends of any kind. And uh, I know he did meet a woman up there. And she moved in the house, but it supposedly was a platonic relationship. And, you know, it turned out bad. I knew he had hatred. I believe he had murder in his heart. He said that, you know, he would get her on the mountain and and nobody would ever see her again. On the next episode of Killing Dad, Crystal and Michael's roommate tells all. I don't know what set him off with my comment. Unless he was just a ticking time bomb, he had these bright blue eyes. And I mean, they were on fire. And shares an ominous text she received from Crystal's dad just hours before his murder. At 106, selfish and dishonest people have made me no more than a dead man walking. And I didn't answer back until that night. By then, he was already dead. I'll be coming home